Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Bunconi. Among Taiwan's outlying islands, Orchid Island stands out as perhaps the most isolated. Until the late 1960s, it was off limits to the public, meaning that its local inhabitants, the indigenous Tao people, had relatively little contact with outsiders. Today's guest spent a year on Orchid Island back in 1971, just a few years after it opened up, and at the time, that traditional culture and way of life was still very much intact. Father Barry Martinson made the trip as a young seminarian on his way to priesthood in the Catholic Church, and during that year, he integrated himself in the local culture, making friends, learning the language, and bearing first-hand witness to a tribal society in transition. He wrote about his experience in his best-selling book, Song of Orchid Island, now being re-released as an e-book by Taiwan-based publisher Campford Press. I spoke with him recently. Father Barry Martinson, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. So I just want to start with uh, way back, this is way back in the early 1970s, you are uh, a seminarian getting ready to be a Jesuit priest, and you're, uh, part of that training is you're supposed to do uh, some service work and uh, you choose to do it in Orchid Island. You were already in Taiwan at the time uh, mm-hmm. studying, but you decided that you wanted to go to Orchid Island for this actual service work. So uh, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what was behind that uh, decision. What was the draw for Orchid Island? Well, I think I wanted to do something, first of all, very adventurous. Mm-hmm. I was only 25, and I wanted to do something meaningful, and I wanted to work with the poor and be with the poor and be poor myself in serving them. So I looked around Taiwan, and I found that that was the poorest area was Orchid Island. And it was also very culturally rich at the time. So I thought it would be a great experience to go there for a year. Mm. And when you get there, I mean, the, the, the culture of the Tao people at that time was still very much intact. They were still uh, very much living the same kind of lifestyle that they had been for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about the Orchid Island that you found when you mm-hmm. arrived? Yeah, well, it was... a. Uh, um, many people call it primitive, you know, mm. but I found it just a beautiful, natural environment. Uh, most of the houses still were traditional. They they were stilt houses or houses part buried in the ground or little workshop houses. And there were some still some – there were recent cement buildings also. But there was a, a very traditional lifestyle based on fishing and farming and a lot of uh, – cultural celebrations and their own, uh, you know, traditional outfits. And that was very attractive to me. It was, uh, it was, it was colorful, you know, it was uh, being an artist. I, I noticed the, the blue of the sky and the, 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 the ocean and the colors of the rocks and the green grass and the, the skin of the people and their, their red beetle nut lips, you know. <laughs> it was just uh, very, very colorful and uh, kind of a, I wouldn't say paradise because there were, it was like hard to find a sandy beach and there weren't, you know, luxury hotels or anything, just a few hovels at the time. But it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful place and a, and a wonderful culture. Right. So I, definitely the culture and the uh, the, the scenery were uh, something of a draw for you. But you mm-hmm. say in the book that this is not an anthropological account. I mean, you're not right. you're not writing about this uh, because you want to give a detailed account of what, how these people are living and what their mm-hmm. culture is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, you, you say that you're more interested in uh, sharing the lives uh, and sharing your experience of, you know, being with the people and, and sharing their lives with them. Uh, tell us a little bit about the motivation behind writing this book originally. Well, uh, 
I had just finished uh, one year with them, and uh, my heart was just full of these experiences with all these people, and many were my close friends. So uh, the motivation was just kind of get it out of my system mm. <laughs> to to write this. Uh, I was studying theology that year, and uh, I just really wanted to uh, express what I'd, what I'd gone through, uh, both the, the happy times and the tough times. But it was the people that made that island so wonderful. They they were extraordinary people, and they still are. They they have a rough lifestyle. Uh, they have a lot of uh, challenges, but they are able to cope. And you know, amid all these uh, uh, the weather, the the oppressions, and everything. But I was just really uh, amazed by by them and their friendliness to me, and their acceptance of me mm. as their friend. So you're saying this experience uh, of being there, I mean, it was kind of an adventure uh, more than anything else. And uh, and so that's kind of what you're writing about in this book is uh, your mm-hmm. adventures and your experiences on, on Orchid Island. That's right. It's a, a series of short little stories. And each story has to do with uh, a different person or a different place or a different adventure. And uh, for instance, going out and um, going fishing with the people or going to the mountains to pick uh, what we call dragonized fruit and uh, or going to the prison. There was it used to be a prison there to do uh, tribal dances, and uh, or meeting these strange people or interesting characters on the island. Uh, all and and also the way this affected me at the time. I think these were uh, you know stories that other people found uh, heartwarming, uh, sometimes very funny, and also uh, fascinating. Uh, something that maybe isn't in any other place in the world. I mean, as you were writing this, though, did uh, did you have any mind for what in particular you wanted to share with an audience about this experience? Was was there something that you wanted to communicate uh, to readers? Well, I think uh, I wanted to share how important it is to, to become friends with people first before you decide to do anything for them. That was a, a running theme through the book. And I felt like if I if I really wanted to help these people, I had to to understand them, to live with them, to to uh, be close to them, to be their friends, and then maybe they might tell me uh, what what I was needed for. And in, in the end, that's what happened. I they were the ones that found me a job and, and found <laughs> out what I could do. Uh, but it all came from them, and I think that's what I wanted to communicate. I I don't uh, really see the point in going and trying to change people and. And make them into something that, like yourself. I wanted to try to show how, how important it is to accept people as they are and to see what we can do to help them in the ways they need, not, not ourselves. But that is sort of something that you struggled with a little bit in the book. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk about uh, you worked with a number of uh, Taiwanese teachers that were also mm-hmm. living on the island, and uh, some of them took the perspective that uh, you know the, the the Tao people. They were people that needed help and they needed guidance and they needed to be improved. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you even questioned yourself: Am I, mm-hmm. you know, too much in love with this culture? Am I letting them take advantage of me? Am I, uh, am I not holding them to any kind of standard? Am I just, you know, seeing everything through uh, rose-tinted glasses? So uh, mm-hmm. was. Was was that kind of a a journey that was difficult for you to go through uh, and and, and kind of questioning some of these things? I think it was. There was always this conflict uh, of, you know, wanting how much should you you accept, how much should you want to change. And uh, I think for me, though, it wasn't so much looking through rose-colored glasses. It was through the eyes of an artist uh, seeing things that I really loved and I found beautiful and, and making friends. 
And um, I was just kind of caught up in the whole thing. And I, I think it was more uh, the adventures I had, the stories I told, I wanted to tell, uh, than it was trying to um, have some kind of a crusade, you know, to change, to better, even to evangelize. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't that. It was just a sharing. It was just mm-hmm. really a sharing. And, and the more I, I, I stayed there, I think the deeper that feeling came that, that uh, I wanted to... Um, you know, just just really share their lives and 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 if they wanted me to to help in any way, I would be happy to. And so it sounds like you're almost saying that when when we think of this word help, I mean help perhaps should even come second uh, mm-hmm. to sharing in lives. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. why why you would almost subordinate helping or or doing something uh, proactively to help other people to uh, maybe sharing first and understanding and, and being with? Well, I think love comes first. And in order to love, you have to know people. And we always say, first you know, then you love, and then you serve. And if you don't really know them, it's hard to love them. And if you don't love them, it's hard to serve them. So some people come out with, a, with an idea to serve, and they don't even have love. And I think that causes a lot of problems. You do things that the people don't like, or you offend them, and and uh, there's so many examples of that. The fact that the government gave them stone or cement houses when they, they re- really didn't want them. <laughs> mm. They wanted to live their traditional lifestyle, trying to change them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just felt like I, the first step was to, of knowledge, to know. And that's not an easy task. It takes time. And so if you can love and, and then to serve, to help, I think that's the, the progression and I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give our listeners the wrong impression. This certainly isn't a message book. This isn't a book where you're, you're arguing for this or that policy or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these issues that you're talking about, they're, they're, they're very real now. I've, I've mm-hmm. done interviews with the government about some of the resettlement efforts after uh, Typhoon Morakot and uh, similar complaints there. Mm-hmm. A lot of the aboriginals uh, that were uh, relocated were not happy with uh, the new houses that they got and did not feel consulted, exactly mm-hmm. like you're saying. They didn't mm-hmm. feel uh, listened to by the government. Mm-hmm. And so that question of how much do you change, how much do you respect what's already there, I think that that's still very much a question that uh, is very pertinent today, mm-hmm. even. Uh, so wh- what what sort of experiences or, or what sorts of uh, lessons do, do, do you wish that could be shared with more people that are in the middle of this controversy? Um, well, I'll give you an example of the, the former priest. Before I arrived in Orchid Island, there was a uh, a priest from Switzerland named Father uh, Geiger, and he uh, had lived there for about seven or eight years, and the people just really, really loved him. And And he was not only a friend, but he, he fought for those people. He fought against the, the soldiers that who let their cows go eat up their taro roots. You know, he, he, he really did a lot of uh, good for those people, and he loved them immensely. When he died tragically in a car accident, uh, they every every house had his picture there. I think it wasn't so much what he said, you know, in his sermons. It was was his action in in understanding their needs and then fighting for their uh, fighting for justice for them. And so uh, that's what I would like people to understand when when they want to do something good, they have to understand what the people want. You know, what what's important to them to listen to them to be with them, and they will eventually tell you what they want. And and then you can fight for them and and uh, don't think that you have all the answers. They have a lot of answers themselves. 
And I think it's important to just to listen. And then we call it conscientization when you when you understand what the other peoples are thinking and then and then make it a part of yourself and then try and 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 help them to reach their goals. Now, the events of this book happened all the way back in the early 1970s, but uh, you've actually stuck around in Taiwan for the majority of that time since then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, for most of the time since the 1970s, uh, you've uh, been in an Aboriginal community in uh, eastern Shinju, uh, Qingchuan Village. Mm -hmm. So clearly, I mean, there's, there's... something about Taiwan and something about these Aboriginal communities that uh, draws you and uh, makes you want to stick around. So uh, what has been keeping you here this whole time? Well, uh, like I said before, it's the the people, the people, uh, tribal people uh, and myself, there seemed to be some kind of electricity there. Uh, I I really like them and I'm drawn to them. And uh, it's hard to say why, uh, but to me, they're, they're, I just find them very, very interesting, fascinating, and, and lovable people. And also, I love nature, and uh, I love the mountains where I am now. I also love the, the ocean where, where I was on Orchid Island. And um, I love the, uh, the air, the, the, good, the good environment, the, clean, the cleanness of the mountains, the cleanness of Orchid Island, the purity of the water. All these things appeal to me. Uh, I mean, they're not things I have to fight against to stay. <laughs> you know, they're, they're drawing factors. Uh, Taiwan's mountains are, are beautiful, and Orchid Island has the best, the best, uh, you know, water of you know seawater of any place in Taiwan. It's a unique in all of Southeast Asia. It's unique. So these are things that um, I feel not only drawn but uh, so happy and proud to be here. Uh, I feel blessed. Uh, you know. That's what's kept me here, the, the, the nature, the people, the environment. Mm. And so you've, you've seen, you've been living so close to these uh, communities for so long in Taiwan, and you've kind of seen the trajectory mm-hmm. uh, that, they're, that they're on. Uh, is that proje- trajectory a positive one for, from your view? Do you, do you, do you feel like uh, the way that these communities are uh, developing and their place in Taiwan and their relationship with uh, the rest of Taiwan as, as a country and as a community, do, do, do you feel like that's going in the right direction? Well, actually, I do. Um, I, I didn't feel so much so when I first came to Taiwan. There was a, a feeling um, towards Aborigines at that time called assimilation. The government wanted to assimilate them. Everybody should speak the same language, or Mandarin. Basically, it was taught in the schools. Everybody should be more or less Chinese. And they tried to kind of force, in, force this on a lot of the tribal communities. And now that, that, um, that thinking has changed. And so there's a lot of uh, indigenous pride that's come in the last years. Uh, people are proud to be you know, Aborigine. If if I asked thirty years ago, if I asked somebody in our village, do you know what tribe you belong to? A lot of them would have just said, "I don't know. I'm a mountain man." Mm-hmm. That was the term they used for mountain people. Mm-hmm. They weren't even conscious of many. Were, didn't even know what their tribe was. So they there's almost know. been a re-education. Yeah, and in, in the last twenty, thirty years, uh, schools are teaching indigenous languages now. You know, look, we have a we have an indigenous television uh, station. We have, uh, you know, Aborigine Council of Affairs. We have all kinds of things now for, for that we didn't have before, and I think this is is wonderful for the. You could see it in the people, the people, uh, the young people in in the past were very, especially in the mountain areas, were very uh, 
kind of humble, too humble. You know,、mm. there was always this buhawis,、uh, uh, mm. I'm ashamed type of、uh, thing in them. Now you don't, and the young people, you don't see that.、Mm. You don't see it at all. It's a different kind of person coming now, and I think that's good. And for as far as the Orchid Island people. I think they have also,、uh, my gosh, some of them are, are writers. They've made, you know, their their authors have they've put out books about their own traditions and stories and culture.、The, many of them are working in Taiwan and in in media and in all different kinds in fields.、Uh, and then they go back and and、uh, bring to their island. Their island has a radio station, <laughs> so it's 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 a great improvement. I think I think it's going in the right direction. They have to adapt,、mm. and、uh, even tourism, I think, is good as、mm-hmm. long as it helps the people,、mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's doing that. At least in our our village, it certainly is.、Uh, tourism is kind of crucial for now for for the livelihood of the people. And、uh, real quick before we、uh, wrap things up, so you're you're re-releasing this book. This is a book that has already been released in English, and before that, way before that, it was released in Chinese. It was、mm-hmm. the Chinese version、uh, was very popular, very successful.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're releasing this as an ebook through Camphor Press. So, can、uh, just to wrap things up, tell us a little bit about、uh, how that came about, and、uh, w- what you see as the significance of getting this into kind of the internet age、uh, at, at this particular、mm-hmm. point in time. What's、uh, why, why why do you think that this is Is an important time for you to get this out as an ebook. Well,、uh, first of all, I, I wrote it in English,、mm. and、uh, but it wasn't published for many years.、Uh, it was published in Chinese、mm-hmm. first. It was translated by a famous writer called San Mao,、mm. and it was only years later that I wanted to see my own English in print,、mm. and so I did my my、uh, self published version. I put a lot of time into it and tried to make it as beautiful as possible. But not too many people were able to see it. You know, when you publish your own book, you have to distribute it, and you don't have those outlets. So、um, when this opportunity came along for Camphor Press to do an ebook, I was really happy because I thought, well, you know, this now anybody in the world can get it if they want. It'll go onto Amazon, it'll go onto different outlets, and、uh, people can have an opportunity to see this, and it'll kind of have a rebirth.、Hmm. So I'm very excited about that, and I think that's important because a lot of people today. Go to e-books. They do have a they have a digital way of reading, and、uh, I personally have、uh, always like you know pages to turn. Times <laughs> are、I've, changing. Times are <laughs> yeah, changing. Yeah, but now I'm getting to see. Well, you know, you can always bring your iPad along with、mm-hmm. you and and have a whole bunch of books to read. So it's a it's a great thing, and I hope、uh, it's successful. And I'm very grateful to Camphor Press for for republishing this. All right. Well, the book is "Song of Orchid Island." It's coming out through Camphor Press, and we have been speaking to its author, Father Barry Martinson. Father Martinson, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Oh, thank you. You can learn more about the book at camphorpress dot com,、uh, and if you haven't visited their website already,、uh, you're really going to want to. You know, anybody who's listening to Taiwan Talk obviously is interested in Taiwan. Uh, well, Camphor Press is just a great resource for learning about Taiwan. It's got a ton of nonfiction books, filling in many of the gaps、uh, on writing about Taiwan history, culture,、uh, and、uh, many other areas that、uh, it's hard to find anywhere else. So, definitely worth checking out. They are、uh, not even paying me to say that. I, I'm just a big fan of what they're doing.、Uh, to plug my own stuff, meanwhile,、uh, you can of course listen to New Taiwan Talk interviews every Monday. On air at the 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. newscast on ICRT FM 100.、Uh, those on-air versions are somewhat abbreviated.、Uh, for the complete interviews, such as the one you just heard, 
Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes or follow me on Twitter. At Keith Benconi is where I tweet from. Uh, I'm going to be shooting up a link every time a new show is available. So you can find it there. That is it for the show today. Uh, we may be taking a break next week for the Lunar New Year. Not really sure yet. Uh, so maybe see you in a week or maybe see you in two. Uh, either way, for Taiwan Talk, I'm Keith Benconi. <laughs>